0: Hey American Government and Civics, Uh, welcome. This is a little review of the AKS that's going to cover your CFA for Unit 4. Unit 4 is the executive branch and it covers a couple of different uh, AKS. Uh, 33 and 34 are the big ones and then it also gets into 35 a little bit as well as kind of going back to 32. So uh, let's review the AKS from this unit. So first off, 33 is the overarching thing and that is the executive branch of the government so under the executive branch that's going to cover two topics that's gonna to be the president as well as the bureaucracy uh, all right so let's get into the AKS so AKS 33A is the formal qualifications listed in the Constitution for the president of the United States so this should be pretty simple just a memorization stuff here uh, the president to run for president, you have to be 35 years old at the time of the election. You have to be a natural-born citizen, and you also have to have established residency for 14 years. So, uh, you can be born here, be a natural-born citizen, then move away, come back. You'd have to establish that residency for 14 years. The next one is uh, 33B, and that's some informal qualifications that are common to past presidents. So. This one, um, you really need to just think about what are some of the characteristics that people have looked for uh, in presidents uh, over the the past, you know, I think we're on the 46th president. So what are we, you know, what what have people looked for? And some common things that come up when 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 classes have these conversations. Uh, We want prior government experience is a big one. All right, we want people that have uh, experience running a government, whether it be at the state level, like a governor. We want people that have been in the Congress, whether it be a Senate or a House member. uh, They've been some kind of department head uh, in the government. We want people with those kind of um, experiences. Uh, Military used to be a really big one. Uh, It still kind of is, but it's not the biggest. But it's still something that we kind of like to see sometimes in our president. Uh, are those skills Uh, so other stuff that comes up in in class conversations sometimes is is wealth Um, a presidential candidate is going to have to at least be able to raise money okay at the very least Uh, the the costs to run for the presidency are just mind-blowing the last two elections 2016 and 2020 uh, we've had presidential candidates that raised over a billion that's billion with a B dollars uh, in order to run for the presidency. So it's a lot of money. All right. Uh, we also sometimes see religious. So you want people that are uh, religion. Uh, you want family people uh, to be the president. So you know, married with kids and things like that. Uh, th- so those are some of the informal qualifications that sometimes pop up. Uh, no guarantee um, that, you know, the things we talked about will be on the CFA, but those are kind of the top things that come up in conversations when you do class activities with this. All right, 33C and 33D get into some of the amendments for the president. So uh, 12, 20, 22, 23, and 25, uh, along with the Electoral College. So let's just go in order. The 12th Amendment deals with the ballot for the presidency. Uh, It used to be that they would just take the top two vote-getters. So this affected the election of 1800 when it was John Adams as the president, and then The next closest vote-getter was Thomas Jefferson. Well, they just happened to be rivals uh, politically. And so John Adams had uh, Thomas Jefferson as his vice president, the guy that he was running against. Uh, So think, you know, present day, if we had Joe Biden with Donald Trump as his vice president, or going back to 2016, Donald Trump as the president and Hillary Clinton as the vice president. That's not going to be good for the country. Now, I would watch that as a reality show. I think that would be hilarious. But as a, uh, you know, doing stuff for us uh, in the country, that would not work out too well. So uh, luckily the 12th Amendment separates the ballots out and says, hey, we'll just do a separate ballot for the president and one for the vice president. Uh, Next up was the 20th Amendment. The 20th Amendment, this sets the uh, inauguration date as January 20th, so it used to be in March. And so you had a long period of time from November to March uh, where if someone got voted out of office, or if they were leaving office because their terms were up, uh, you had five months from November to March where the president was basically kind of just handcuffed because they couldn't do anything. You know, I mean, they could do stuff; they could still govern, but you, know, no one was going to want to put much effort and time uh, into. Uh, any kind of agenda that the president is working on during that time because they're fixing to leave office and so let's shorten that period down from march to january so now it's only a three-month period the 22nd amendment uh this is going to set the term limits (coughs) so the 22nd amendment uh sets it to where you can serve only two terms or 10 years okay now if a term for the president is four years and you can do two that's eight years however We just said that you could also serve 10 years, potentially. So the question is, how could you serve 10 years? Well, it depends on when you take over. So uh, if you're the vice president and you take over with more than two years left in a term, then that's going to count as one of your two terms. So right now, we're at uh, just over... or. Right now, if Kamala Harris took over for Joe Biden, is what I'm trying to say, uh, she would have more than two years left because he took office on January 20th, 2021. So his two-year mark won't be till 2023. And so this would count as one of her terms. Even though it's only a couple months, it still count. Now, if Joe Biden resigns or passes away or something like that uh, on, let's say, January 30th, 2023, then that would be less than two years. And so this would not count as Kamala Harris's term. And so she would have those two years, plus she could run in 2024 and 2028, potentially win and serve more than the eight years. The 23rd Amendment, uh, this is going to give D.C. voters electoral votes. So that's pretty quick and easy. And then the 25th Amendment, it sets up the line of succession. So you've got uh, the president resigns, passes away, whatever happens to them. Uh, Then it goes to the VP. All right, so the Vice President is officially the next person in line. Uh, if something happens to both of them, it would go to the Congress, and it would go specifically to the Speaker of the House next. Then it goes to the Senate, the President pro Tempore of the Senate. And if something happened to, to all of those people, then it would get into the Cabinet. So it would start off with the Secretary of State, uh, and it would go in order of their creation, so state, treasury, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Department of Defense, uh, all the way down to the last one, which is Homeland Security. Okay. So that is the line of succession uh, that is that create, was created with the 25th Amendment. Now, the other thing it does is it describes how the vice president could potentially kind of take control, invoke the 25th, uh, if the president is un- un- unable to perform their duties. So uh, basically, the vice president and the cabinet would have to come together, have a conversation, and say, hey, the president is incapable of performing their duties, have a vote, and they could assume control. So if President Biden was to have a surgery, was to be put under, um, and then not wake up, go into a coma, the vice president and the cabinet could have a quick meeting, discuss, and say, okay, we're going to put Kamala Harris as the, vi- as the president. Now, it also describes how the president can come back. So if he wakes up, Biden woke up, like I am fit again to be the president, It sh- it talks about how the president can prove that he should be back. Uh, You also have to do the role of the Electoral College in electing the president. And so you need to remember you have a popular vote, okay? And that's where people go and vote for the president. Um, But at the end of the day, it's gonna be the Electoral College that that casts the vote. And so the Electoral College has uh, votes assigned to each state and it's based on the representatives and the Senate. So Georgia, we have 16 electoral votes because we have 14 House members and two senators. And so uh, the, the states are kind of broken down that way. And uh, it plays a couple things. First off, you know, campaigning, running for the president, uh, you're going to go to the large states and the states that are kind of, you know, swing states or battleground states where uh, you, you know, both candidates have a good chance of winning and, and you want to win those, those uh, votes um, because you got to get to 270. All right whatever you do you have that's the number you got to get to and so they'll the electoral college will cast the the deciding vote uh, at the end of the day now people sometimes say well my vote doesn't matter but your vote does matter because your candidate has to win your state uh, to get those electoral votes so yes your vote does matter um, so please don't ever think that oh i'm not going to vote for, for the president because it's the electoral college casting the vote well you get to dictate to the electoral college who to vote for so please Go out and vote. All right, get off the soapbox there. Uh, all right, so 33E, you have some roles of the president stuff to worry about, so commander-in-chief is one of them, uh, and that's where they're, they're in charge of the military. All right, uh, all almost all decisions when it comes to the military goes to the president's office. So when Barack Obama gave SIL Team 6 the uh, go-ahead uh, to go in and get uh, Osama bin Laden back in like 2012, that, that was directly from his office. Um, when the decision was made to, to drop the atomic bomb on Japan at the end of World War II, that came directly from Harry Truman. All those decisions go through them. They can deploy troops. They can move troops. They can do all that kind of stuff. Really, the only thing they can't do is declare war. Uh, let's see. The next role is the chief executive, and this is where the president will probably spend most of their time because this is where they are going to um, enforce the laws. Okay, And so this is where the next AKS comes from, which is the bureaucracy, where they come into play, because the president has to enforce the law somehow, and they use the agencies that are out there. Um, think of all, all the different agencies, FCC, FDA, uh, SEC, uh, FBI, CIA, EPA, all those different agencies. They're going to help the president enforce the laws, which is in that role as chief executive. Uh, the president will also appoint people in this role, so they appoint judges, they Appoint uh, cabinet positions uh, and all those sorts of things will come in from this role as well. And they can also create something called executive orders out of this, where they give directives to the bureaucracy. Chief agenda setter. So the president, uh, the president runs on an agenda. Okay, so you go vote for a president, and so you're voting for that person, but you're also voting for their plan. And so uh, typically Congress will work with the president and their agenda. Uh, especially right after, after they're elected. Uh, once they become the president and they've been there for a while and their popularity starts to ebb and flow, Congress some kinda, sometimes loses steam there. But re- when they're first elected, the president will be the chief agenda setter. Uh, head of state, so this is kind of a figurehead thing where they are acting as the face of the country. So you know, if the president goes and throws out the first pitch of the World Series, uh, that starts on on Friday the twenty eighth. So they go and they show up and they throw out the first pitch. That's a, a there's no official capacity there. They're not doing anything official. They're just being the face of the country. Um, Veterans Day's coming up. If the president goes to <clears throat> Arlington National Cemetery. And gives a speech there, uh, or something like that. Uh, that would be, uh, you know, the, the the chief citizen, head of the state, chief diplomat. This is where they're going to work with foreign countries. So the president can sign treaties with other countries, uh, with Senate approval. So keep that in mind. Uh, so they can work things out. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, you know, went over to Europe at the end of World War One and worked out the 14 points. Although the Senate never signed it, uh, the president has that power. There, uh, the president will also handle uh, different, you know, uh, negotiations with foreign countries. They'll make decisions to in, impose sanctions, embargoes, and things like that. Uh, in this role, they can also enter something called executive agreements, which is similar to a treaty, except for it is not going to be approved by the Senate. And then the party leader, uh, they're just the face of the party. They're not in charge of the Democrat or the Republican Party, but they will work with the party to try and get as many people elected. So, you know, Biden's probably going to start making the rounds here as Election Day comes up on November 8th. Uh, Biden will probably be going out trying to support Democrats in different states. All right, 34 is a short AKS. It's got A and B. And this is all about the different agencies. So, we said, you know, the executive branch is made up of the president and the bureaucracy. So, 34A says to compare and contrast the organization and responsibilities of independent regulatory agencies, government corporations, and executive agencies. So let's do government corporations first. That's probably the easiest one. That's just a business run by the government, okay? You've got the Postal Service. That's a government corporation. They are supposed to fund themselves based on their profits. Um, you've got other ones like the uh the FDIC, uh, you've got Amtrak, uh, the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, if you remember that from the New Deal era, uh, you know, they are making damn power for the entire Tennessee Valley, all right, they provide damn jobs, they also have damn tours. That's my damn joke. No one ever laughs. So hopefully you laughed. Uh, all right. So those that's a government corporation. The other two are where people get confused. You got regulatory agencies and you got executive agencies. Okay, they're both independent. So they both kind of are free from the president and free from Congress. Uh, they both uh, the regulatory agencies typically will have appointments from the president, but then. Uh, they don't answer to the president. So for example, the Federal Reserve is a uh, independent regulatory agency. And the Federal Reserve is going to handle the money supply in this country. And the president gets to pick their president, but then they serve a term of about 14 years. So they're going to survive past the president's terms. uh, So they don't really have to answer to them. Uh, They also have regulatory powers, okay? So think of the FCC, Federal Communications Commission. Mm -hmm. That's a regulatory agency. They regulate the airwaves. They say what can and can't be on the, the radio. They say what can and can't be on the TV. So you know, curse words and things like that, um, can't go, go they can't be on some of those things because the FCC regulates. An independent executive agency doesn't have that regulatory power. So think of NASA. Okay? NASA can't regulate space. They would like to probably stop Elon Musk from trying to go to Mars, but they can't do that. Okay? Uh, they can't stop the space travel, the space tourism industry that's probably coming um, pretty soon. All right, Uh, and then explain the functions of the president's cabinet. The big thing for the cabinet is they two things you need to know. Okay, First off, they advise the president. That's what the cabinet positions are. They are basically advisors to the president on their areas of expertise. So the secretary of state, uh, they're in charge of foreign relations. So they're going to advise the president on what they should do with with other countries. Uh, The other thing they do is they are in charge of the big overarching sector of our country okay so think of transportation department of transportation they're in charge of the the transportation issues in this country uh now that single executive who was appointed by the president is in charge of all the agencies that fall under that so the department of transportation okay has all these different agencies that fall under it the department of justice has things like the fbi the treasury has the irs so all these cabinet positions have these agencies that are going to assist and so there's a chain of command all right, think about it that way. The president is at the top, then you got the cabinet directors, secretaries, whatever you want to call them, and then you get into the, the agencies with the bureau chiefs and whatnot, and so it goes that way to try to enforce the laws. Okay? Uh, the next AKS is 35. It says to describe the tools used to carry out U.S. foreign policy, including diplomacy and treaties, economic, military, and humanitarian aid, and sanctions and military intervention. So a lot to unpack there. Let's try and do it as quickly as possible, because this is going longer than I thought it was, so I apologize. Uh, all right, so the tools to carry out U.S. foreign policy, diplomacy and treaties. So diplomacy is the talks, okay? So this is where we're going to go and work with a foreign country by, um, you know, let's try and work a, an agreement out. Let's try and work out uh, the details. So instead of, you know, uh, going right to the military, let's, let's talk. Let's discuss. Let's come to some kind of agreement. And so that's where the treaty will come in. So after we have talked and discussed and and we finally decide, hey, we can handle this without, you know, getting getting into the military, uh, that's what diplomacy and treaties are going to be. Economic. So we have a couple options here. We can lay economic sanctions on people where we say we're not going to trade with you or we're going to, you know, stop trade altogether with you. And so that's going to really hurt uh, that country. Okay, Uh, We could also just stop buying products from that country, which is basically stop trading with them, Uh, but maybe it doesn't go as deep as an embargo would go. But we have these economic tools where we try and pressure countries into doing what we want by affecting their economy. Uh, And then military, that's pretty easy. Uh, We just kind of flex our muscles uh, with our military and say, hey, we have a bigger, stronger military than you. Do what we want or we'll blow you up. Yeah, not, not, we don't say that, but you know there's that threat. It's a, it's a threat that's always in the back of uh, smaller countries' minds that, hey, this country could if they really wanted to push the issue. Uh, they do have a stronger military. Uh, humanitarian aid, so this is where we're going to help countries out. So, uh, you know, if there's uh, ever a devastating earthquake somewhere or a tsunami or whatever, uh, we're going to send resources, money and supplies and medical aid and things like that. Uh, and then we talked about sanctions, military intervention. You know, we're kind of doing that in Ukraine. We're not really intervening, but we are sending resources to Ukraine right now. So uh, we have that going on. All right, the final one, we kind of go back to 32, and this is the impeachment process. Um, <clears throat> and so we got this earlier uh, in our course. But just a quick recap. Um, the impeachment process is a two-part thing, two part thing. Please don't think that impeachment is kicking the president out, okay? If a president is impeached, that just means they have formal charges filed against them, and that comes from the House of Representatives. So someone, anybody in the House, can draw up articles of, of impeachment for whatever reason, um, and I'll say why in just a second, and then they'll have a vote, okay? The three things that can get you impeached are treason, bribery, and then high crimes and misdemeanors. And high crimes and misdemeanors are is anything, all right? There's, there's no definition. It's just whatever... A member of, of the House thinks is a crime. And so they can draw those up. The House votes, a simple majority gets it passed, and a president, or a federal judge or whoever, uh, is impeached. It then goes to the Senate. The Senate holds a trial where they'll have witnesses and evidence and all that kind of stuff, and the, the Senate will hold a vote to kick a president out or any kind of elective, or any kind of government official that's being impeached. To kick them out, you need two thirds, so it's a pretty high threshold. We've never had a president kicked out. We've had four impeached. We've had Johnson. <coughs> excuse me. We've had Johnson, Clinton, and Trump twice. So that's why I say four. Um, and then Nixon would have been impeached, but he resigned office before he could be impeached and kicked out. All right. So that is the process. All right, guys. If you have questions, uh, you can try and contact me um, through the social media. C H H S gov underscore civics on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, If you're in my class, feel free to talking points or email me, Uh, but if you have questions, please just find a way to get a hold of me. All right, guys, hope you've had a great weekend and a happy Halloween, and I'll see you in class. Take care. Bye-bye.